Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. It's episode 133. Once again, a week in between shows. Part of the problem is that about a week ago, we <laughs> suffered this nation's greatest tragedy, by which I mean that fucking woodpecker is back, <laughs> pounding on the fucking walls. I have since obtained, I think I talked about this a couple <laughs> couple episodes ago, it is a monstrosity of a squirt gun. It's it got is. A, it's got a 40-foot range, including at a diagonal which means it'll hit where the thing is going. So for the last week, every time I hear the on the walls and it's that fucking loud, it's drives me bullshit. That I go outside in my pajamas. You do, scaring with, the neighbors terribly. With with a squirt gun that looks like I'm I'm here and I want to be taken to somebody's leader <laughs> and I blast the thing off the wall and it's a, the problem is it it really is about 30 feet in the air. So yeah. It'll hit him, but it won't hit him with enough oomph to really say, hey, maybe you want to move on, fuck face. It's more of a, <laughs> ew, I don't like this. And he flits away. It sort of chirps at you. Did you just spit on me? Yeah. There, <laughs> there was one time he just sort of went over to the tree, so I kept going. I was like Peter Venkman. Just <laughs> like trying not to cross the streams. <laughs> nice shooting, Tex. Shooting straight up in the air. It's hitting me in the head. So... <laughs> And the, the sad thing is, you can't get rid of them. No. And I found it. I finally talked to a maintenance guy here, and he's like, "We can't kill them." It's like I love animals, but I would kill these fuckers in a minute. But legally, you can't kill them. I'm like, "Well, maybe you can't kill them." <laughs> I would. The bird just turns out that he doesn't even nest in the walls. All he does is drill a hole to steal the insulation. He steals the insulation to go make a nest somewhere else. Entitled fucker. I mean, it's, it's like a crackhead pulling the copper wire out of your walls. Just, it's like no, there's cool shit in here. No, I can I can move the copper. I, I can move the insulation. I can do. I don't have a fence for your TV. I don't know what to do with that. So yeah, the, the goddamn woodpecker's back, and yeah, I was up late working again last night, and uh, once again this morning at nine o'clock. Fuck. It's almost winter. We've got snow in northern New England. We don't have any here at the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office yet. Which but. is good, because we have less insulation than we had. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's the sad thing. Maintenance said there's nothing we can do. They, when it gets cold, they go off and nest, and they'll come back, and yeah, we'll cut a big hole in the siding, and we'll stuff insulation in, and we'll patch it, and we'll fix it next spring. Great. And by the way, these birds often come back to the same house over and over, and oh, we, we really got screwed in this place. <laughs> We should have stayed on the south side of town with the rats. With the rats, yeah. Yeah, and I'll take the woodpeckers. Yeah, they're at least cute. So, yes, that's the national tragedy we've been dealing with. Mm. Everything else we try not to think about. That's why why you have beer. That's that's (laughs) why I have much beer. You have... You have four beers. British listeners, can we sleep on your... That's (laughs) uh, that's the last I'm going to talk about it, so... But yeah, it's uh, once again there was a, a missed episode, and we're what we have discovered as time has gone on. It's 2016 has been a real shit year for everybody involved. I think we can uh, yes. say with some authority, and it's sort of hit us too. Uh, I've got the new job, which is giving me weekend responsibilities that I'm not necessarily fond of and trying to figure out times to prep the the shows in the big way that we have for a couple of years. It's just gotten harder and harder. 
So Amanda and I have made a commitment. We're, we're trying to prepare it in a different way. It may mean that certain shows, if there's no huge comic news, as this show is going to be, is we just talk about three, four, five of this week's issues. Because I think part of what's hamstringing us is we're always looking for the big topic, and sometimes it's just it's either not there or we've been so busy with you know our jobs. I've got the new gig, and Amanda's trying to hard to hit the the final level where she's got job security. <laughs> um, it, it can be hard to to get home from work and say, okay, I'm going to spend three hours digging. And- yeah, I mean, there wasn't a lot in the way of news that wasn't a retread of news that's already been out. Like, you know, okay, who's outraged about what this week? Who's not going to what convention? Who quit Twitter? Like, it's, Yeah. You, know, it- you can only talk about that so often without it just getting... Well, and particularly within the last yeah. couple of weeks, that gets political, which I do not want to do on this show. No. But, you know, and, and some of them, it's like, wow, somebody quit Twitter? <laughs> Okay, that's that's the entirety of wow. Okay, a whole seven hours. Good job. Yeah, <laughs> and now now I can't follow them on Twitter anymore. What else? What else would we discuss about that? Yeah, there's, I, nothing, there's no there there. There is no there there. So, hence y- there was no real news. Yes. So there was no real news, and frankly, the waiting for the what's the big topic has sort of gotten in the way of uh, you know we can read books and take some notes, and then yeah we'll have notes on a whole bunch of books, and no matter what, if nothing happens between now and the end of the week. We have enough good, solid material and interesting material to to do a show, even if there is no big topic. So there is no big topic this <laughs> week. We got shit, but we we got a bunch of books. We do. We, we got a little subtopic we're gonna close out with. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, anything else before we just uh, want to? So so yeah. Ultimately, what that means is uh, one thing. Also, uh, we normally tape the show on Sundays, and historically, we've taped it, done a quick edit, and put it right up on the internet immediately. That leads to some eight, ten hours. Um, <laughs> that beats you like a redheaded stepchild after a while. So we'll continue to tape on Sundays, but our new publication date is going to be Monday nights. Yes. So you'll see this on Monday night, and from here on out, that's when our episodes are going to go up. So It's, it's to save Rob's sanity. Uh, my sanity, my spine, because this is... A, I, I, you need a better chair. I record and edit this chair in a... You edit I, this chair? Oh, no, I record and edit this show in a... Yeah, I edit the chair. I, I would edit it with a chainsaw. It's a terrible <laughs> chair. It, uh, literally, I found it near the uh, the trash chute in my old apartment. You should it's, be playing Sad Hulk for this. <laughs> I, found it, I found it near the trash chute in my old apartment. <laughs> at the time, I, I was broke, and uh, I need, literally needed a chair to... To sit in front of the computer on, and uh, it's a horrible wooden 1970s Baroque <laughs> dining room chair with no cushion. Uh, my ass is on pine, like the, the shittiest baseball players, <laughs> crappy football players, dead guys. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and it, uh, this show sometimes runs two hours, and then I edit it for two hours and write show notes for 45 minutes and... If I weren't, if I didn't have such padding in my ass, I'd be at a chiropractor right now. So, yes, in order to save my ass, <laughs> I will now be preparing show notes and publishing the show on Monday after taping on Sundays. Okay. I've done dumber shows. <laughs> <laughs> I've done dumber stories What's that don't story? require them. <laughs> now, put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. Uh, just my ass. Just my ass is falling apart. <laughs> It's not falling apart. It's slowly compressing. <laughs> to sit here and people pay good money for that. <laughs> Send them over. 
Maybe I won't have to work as hard. We could do the, the big topic think piece shows again. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's talk about some comics, goddamn. Let's it. do that. So, yes. And, and in conclusion, thank you for the 15th time for bearing with us as we've tried to find a road through uh, all the weird stuff and have missed a whole bunch of shows where we, we think we have a system now. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. It's all going to get fucked up for American Thanksgiving this week, but... We'll, we'll, we'll sort through it. We will. In the meantime, let's do our semi-weekly for the last... It's only about six months, but it feels like forever. Check in on a uh, Civil, <laughs> Civil War, War two story. Uh, the Spider-Man 1... Uh, Spider-Man 1. Spider-Man 9? Spider-Man 9. Spider-Man 9. Spider-Man 9 uh, yeah. Written uh, by Brian Michael Bendis. Art by Nico uh, Leon. Yes. So With a, a lovely uh, cover by Sarah Pacelli and Jason Keith that depicts Miles Morales' Spider-Man fighting Venom. Yes. We don't see Venom anywhere in this book, see, I other than the cover. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that. It's I've been reading comics long enough. When I was a kid, I got sold by the cover. And now, I mean, it's shit. Spider-Man just shows up in my polls. Yeah. So it's... Being sold by a cover doesn't necessarily happen a lot ever to to me anymore. I'm old enough. It's uh, it's more okay. Who's the creator? Um, once in a while it happens. I'm trying to think of an example of just the cover is like okay. I have no idea what you are, but you have my attention. Yeah, I, I can't really either. More often it's a title yeah. like like Battle Pope <laughs> before like, Walking Dead ever came that? out. I'm like Battle Pope. <laughs> yes, sir. I will see what you loaded Christ. Yeah. I bought just because. Holy fuck. There's one. It's just purely based on the title. It's like, all right, I am interested in what you have to say. (laughs) The the title, not so much anymore. But yeah, this is just a... And this would happen when I was a kid. You'd you'd get a a cover of Spider-Man being beaten unconscious by Hammerhead, and Hammerhead would show up in like the last panel or some shit like that. Yeah. So (laughs) this is just classic. Wow, look at that. Well, when did Venom get here? Is this is it Eddie Brock Venom? Is it is it Flash Thompson Venom? Oh, and and also, what does that possibly have to do with the vision that Ulysses had of of Miles Morales killing? Steve Rogers. Uh, that's right. Maybe, maybe he's behind it. Maybe he, maybe Miles was infected by the symbiote. He's got a black costume already. Would anybody necessarily know? And yeah, no, no. Venom's not in the fucking thing. <laughs> Miles is barely in the fucking thing. <laughs> this is a Spider-Man-less Spider-Man comic book. It really is. And it's not a terrible book by certain measures. You know, with that said, this is yet another Bendis book of people talking around a variety of tables. Yes, there is much it's just, talking. It's just people talking. I don't mind that because Bendis writes great dialogue. I've talked about it repeatedly. I kind of like those now and again, so I was okay with it on that level. But yeah, Miles doesn't show up. He shows up on the first page, and it's it's not even Nico Leon art. It's the uh, David Marquez double page spread from fucking Civil War Two. Uh, was it five? Yeah, where he d- discovered that where Ulysses had his vision. So yeah, Spider Man is in it only by dint of another artist from another book. And yeah, ultimately, while there's some really emotional dialogue in this, and it's really it's not a bad book. But yeah, if you bought it based on that cover or hoping for seeing some Spider-Man action or even anything about Spider-Man dealing with what this vision entails at all. Look, the reality is I can live a long and fulfilling fucking life without seeing another Civil War II book. This, <laughs> this, this event 
has not gone in the way I hoped. It had a huge amount of promise. It may deliver on some of it, mm-hmm. but right now it's, yeah, just somehow, all right, we, we've got to make Captain Marvel the bad guy. And yeah, it just, even with the putting Miles Morales front and center as being the one who kills Captain America feels like Bendis saying, all right, well, this is a chance for me to put Miles Morales front and center in the 616 or Earth Prime or whatever the fuck we're where, calling it. Where, where am I today? <laughs> yes, because... And where uh, are my pants? Because, yes, now there's really no Marvel multiverse. No. You know, unless you read Amazing Spider-Man, The Clone Conspiracy this week, <laughs> where it turns out there's still a thriving Spider-Man multiverse where, <laughs> Jesus. where fucking Kane just jumps from universe to universe to universe. And not only that, there's zombies in all the universes. That shit's still going on. But yes, uh, now this is just, no, it's uh, it's Earth Prime or Prime Earth or Prime Rib or whatever the fuck it is. And uh, look, here's a chance to make Miles Morales the... All the... clone Gwen Stacy wants to do is eat your brains. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a reason. It's a great song. Who's that? Jonathan Colton. That's yeah. a good song. Nothing to do with this conversation. No, though, I just had this moment. Right? The, Amanda, that. Amanda has been streaming Jonathan Colton pretty nonstop in the house he for about a week. a fantastic cover of Baby Got Back. That is true. It's fantastic. Uh, for copyright. <laughs> I, I, actually, I have it right here. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have it. I don't want to get sued. No. It's not even fair use on that one. Yeah. <laughs> but um, All right. So with, with this book, as with all of the books that we're going to discuss this week, we're going to spoil the shit out of them. Yes. So uh, That hasn't changed about our process. <laughs> So, yeah, as Rob pointed out, this is a, a mostly spider man book. Um, it's like the ex-parrot sketch from Monty Python. <laughs> yeah. He's an ex-Spider-Man. <laughs> See? Uh, it basically, it centers on his friends trying to figure out where he is. It centers on his dad, who is working for S.H.I.E.L.D., only because Maria Hill has given him the promise that this, um, this will help keep Miles safe. Sure. And uh, Maria wants to keep him safe by putting him in protective custody in a cell because that's protective custody. That's in no way arresting him for something he hasn't done. Of course, of course. And meanwhile, Ms. Marvel and Nova are looking for him and they, they break into Miles's house and meet his dad, <laughs> <laughs> which is how his dad finds out that he's missing. That was one of the better scenes in the book. Yeah. <laughs> just seeing that, yeah, Ms. Marvel and Nova are just such <laughs> shitty criminals. <laughs> they are not the Bloodhound Gang. <laughs> they, are, they are every fucking teenager who thinks they're a ninja sneaking out of their house. Yeah. Mom and dad know, but maybe they've already checked. It's like, yeah, the party they're going to, there's not going to be any booze. All right, let them think they're doing something. It's a land party. There's not going to be any sex. It's fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's... There, the power that is in this issue is there because it shows that people who love Miles are reacting to him being in trouble. Yes. So there's a lot of emotional beats in it, and some of them are very affecting. The final one, which we can talk about in a minute, uh, I thought was the biggest one. But even with that, it loses some of the power that could be inherent there because we know all the characters who love Miles. In some cases, we've known them since the first, second issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, we know that Gonky, I'll never know how to pronounce his name, yeah. <laughs> is going to constantly be worried about him and trying to interject uh, himself into the Spider-Man adventures and I'll be half a sidekick. We know that the, these two guys are best friends in the way that you can only be best friends with somebody in high school. Yeah. So 
yes, there's a certain amount of power in seeing Gonki react this way, but you you know he would. There's no surprise here. Right. You know, Miles' buddies in the Avengers being worried enough to do some stupid teenage shit. Well, again, the friends you have in high school. Yeah, this is this is um this is the summer that Stand By Me takes place. When yeah. it, when it's fall, everybody's going to go off and do their thing, but right now they are so tight. <laughs> you guys want to see a body? <laughs> it's Captain America's body. Let's go to Washington and take a look at it. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there's a certain amount of of juice in that. The the big exception that I found was a uh, Danica, what was her last name? The one, Park. Who, uh, yeah, um, you know, seeing a, a stranger have a reaction to Spider-Man in this way was something different that we haven't seen necessarily from the other characters. But the problem is the weight with that one, with that reaction, is limited because it's not a, it's a fanboy love. It's not a friendship. It, she, yeah. she's Joe Blow from Falmouth. She doesn't know Miles. She doesn't know any of these. She people. knows. Spider-Man or knows of Spider-Man. She's like super fan obsessed stalker. <laughs> right. And and it ties into from Civil War when Captain of uh, the last Civil War, was it six? I, le- I, I lose track of what issue number I believe it on. is six. We are waiting for seven. Yeah, where Captain America goes to Miles, who's just gutted by Ulysses' vision. And he, Captain America's like, you know, put your mask back on. That means something. That's a symbol. So yeah. it, it ties into that fairly nicely. But still, it's... It's a symbolic reaction to, yeah, I'm a fan, and, uh, you know, it's it's like a believer going, <laughs> oh, oh, no, he's misunderstood. It's just, maybe there was somebody in the bathroom when he pissed in the mop bucket. It's uh, maybe, he, maybe he's got a bladder control problem. That's why he drives his Lamborghini in his neighborhood at 400 miles per hour. He throws eggs at his neighbor's houses or whatever the fuck it is that he... It, eggs give him bladder control problems. It's all connected. Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> People, Jesus Christ! Justin Bieber is at the center of a conspiracy. I can't even. Not it. No, no. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, just forget about that. <laughs> Seeing that reaction from it's okay. At least this is somebody new, and it's it's a symbol that Spider-Man is having an impact beyond just his circle of friends. And you know, okay, he's proved himself enough to be a junior member of the Avengers. Mm-hmm. No, he's becoming a symbol the way. Spider-Man, the original Spider-Man, Peter Parker, was then once people sort of got past the threat or menace J. Jonah Jameson <laughs> coverage. Yeah, it's the the biggest moment in it for me at the end was yeah when they saw I think it was Ironheart or who's Riri Williams going as Ironheart? Ironheart. I think it's Ironheart yeah. heading toward Washington. Well, no, they got this is War Machine. Is it War Machine? This is War Machine. It can't be War Machine. War Machine is dead. All right, then I War don't Machine know. was killed in the first I issue of Civil War Two. I, I don't. Know I think what that it's is. Ironheart. Is it? Okay. I think so. Uh, I, I wouldn't bet my life, but I think it's Ironheart. That's true. War Machine is dead. Yeah, War Machine. <laughs> sort of the pr- War Machine's of- dead. Uh, Bendis is writing Iron Man. Bendis created Ironheart. I think it's Ironheart. I think you're right. The, I, I think Bendis is playing favorites here. You think? I think he's loading the deck. <laughs> God damn you, Bendis! He was wrong, and you knew it. <laughs> But, but yeah, that last moment of Gonky saying, oh God, they're going to kill him. That was pretty strong. But even then, it's of course he would say that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, the whole thing really feels like Bendis sitting back saying, okay, I could do an issue of everybody talking. And I'm good enough at character and dialogue. I can make it emotional. But through the whole thing, I'm thinking, how much of this was 
shit, there's a deadline on this book, and I added an extra issue or two to Civil War II, and I don't want to give anything away about what's going to happen to Miles, and i got to have a book out. So let me just uh, let me do what I know how to do and add some emotional beats, and we'll get through this, and the next time I do an event, it should be my turn again in six years because House of M to Civil War II. <laughs> so he's, he's got some time before he's got to step time. up to the plate and do this again. Uh, I'll just get through this, and then we'll go right back to drinking beer. <laughs> Also, this is an opportunity for me to continue to hype Riri. <laughs> yeah, which is, a, I like the character. Yeah. Uh, last, I think it was last week's... Uh, th- th- shit. Now, I'm having the same problem with Iron Man books as I'm having with Spider-Man books. There's Amazing Spider-Man and Spider-Man and even worse, Avengers books. So all new, all different <laughs> Avengers that turned into new Avengers, except there's yeah. a different new Avengers. And I'm, I'm getting that way with Iron Man. There's infamous Iron Man. Right, that's the Doctor, Doctor Doom. Doom. Yeah. And I think Invincible Iron Man is now... Riri. Riri and Ironheart. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was... Yeah, I like that character. That was not a bad issue last week, but I can't keep track of which book is which. It's okay. We've established life has gotten very hectic here. <laughs> some, some, of the, some of the small shits just slip in my mind. Pause life, for beer. Can't see why that's happening. Life moves, moves fast. <laughs> if you don't slow down. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man 2, not a bad book. But it really felt Spider-Man like... Spider-Man 9. Spider-Man 9. Civil War 2. Spider-Man two. 9, Civil War 2, $4,000 spent. <laughs> it's not bad, but it really feels like a, a filler. It does. You know, it's it's because, placeholding. Because it's Bendis, it's placeholding and filler with good dialogue and some emotional beats, but nothing you wouldn't expect, nothing that couldn't just sort of be happening in the background. Yeah, I, I'm... It does really feel like it's it's holding place. Like, like how long are we going to wait until we finally have some sort of resolution on what happens with Miles and Captain America? Let's just, can we just get to that, please? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to because eventually the regular books are going to catch up. <clears throat> yeah. Like in again, I think it's Invincible Iron Man last week. Spoilers: uh, We know Tony Stark's at least going to apparently die in Civil War Two. Oh yay! So. <laughs> Does that mean that Robert Downey Jr. is is close to getting out of his contract with Marvel? Robert Downey Jr. gets like $400 million every time he sneezes and it sounds like he's saying Marvel. <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., you know, he's, <laughs> I'm sure at this point, he's got the executive producer credit on stuff coming out the same way yeah. John Favreau does. True. The, <laughs> the best thing that ever happened to Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> Was Iron is, Man. Is yeah, is Iron Man and Marvel, and even he says that now. And this is a man who would suck a dick for cocaine back in the eighties. So for him to move from cocaine to Iron Man, I loved Lesson Zero. <laughs> I, I'm just unabashed about that. I I, re, I reread the book and watch the movie like once every five years just to see if I feel differently, and I don't. I love it. I do the same thing with The Great Gatsby. And my feelings also don't change. I fucking hate that book. <laughs> <laughs> now, see, I do, the, I do the same thing also with Brett Easton Ellis with American Psycho. Do you beat off while you're doing it? <laughs> I wouldn't tell you if I did. I don't. Just the look on your You know what American Psycho is about, right? It's I've a, read it. Yeah, I know. That's just the look on your face changed. <laughs> do I have to sleep in the car? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this has been episode... <laughs> So yeah, long story short, uh, too long didn't read. Uh, I could be done with Civil War too. Yeah, 
For any any time now. The, maybe from here on out, start planning it as like eight issues and shrink them. <laughs> Don't quit adding shit at the end. Here's an idea. Know what the end is before you start. Just a thought. But but that's hard. It's, yeah, I, I'm no writer. What if the characters want to take me somewhere else? It's uh, Look, uh, God knows uh, we're living proof that it's extremely possible to blow deadlines. Uh, the difference is uh, nobody's paying us to do this. <laughs> Seriously, though, I would like something heavy to fall on on Daisy Buchanan. Now, can, can that happen? Like, I just want like her to like maybe fall off a cliff, or perhaps be like eaten by a, a pack of wolves. Make her fight Venom. Okay. <laughs> Why not? Put that on the cover of the next edition of the Great Gatsby. I'd read the Great Gatsby again since college or high school whenever I read it. It's like, oh, did Jesus? Just to take the narrator Nick and shake him by the shoulders, and you're like. Do you see what fucking vacuous, vapid people you're in? Just get out. Just, just go back to the Midwest, man. Uh, that'll be the sad thing. I'll, I'll come home someday from the bookstore. I'm like, have you seen this? This wafy wasp is fighting venom. <laughs> I, I can't wait to read this. <laughs> the Great Gatsby, is that her superhero name? <laughs> Please. She'd buy somebody to fight for her. I'd read the shit. I'd buy the shit out of that book. I'd get 10 pages in. I'm like, this origin story sucks. Is a green light kryptonite? <laughs> I wish the green light was kryptonite. <laughs> oh, all right. Pause for beer. What, what do we, anything else on Spider-Man? No, I just fucking hate Daisy Buchanan. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> we'll have her bitten by a radioactive, <laughs> bitten by a radioactive Gatsby. She, <laughs> Oh, uh, all right. You want to want to talk about Batman? Yes. You can write that. <laughs> that could be a title. <laughs> what the hell? Show's very loose. Anything could be a title this for this episode. Bruce Wayne would not put up with Daisy Buchanan's shit. Tell you what. <laughs> I don't know. After what happens in Batman Eleven, That's what happened true, after fucking New Fifty Two? But before we get to that, before we, we actually that. talk. About, so uh, talking about Batman Eleven, uh, written by Tom King, art by uh, Mikkel Jenin. What kind of parents would name their kid that? I love his art. I, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. Um, so yeah, we're in the middle, I think, of the I Am Suicide arc, which, at face value, going into it was okay. Gotham Girl uh, from the first arc is yes. uh, having a breakdown. She's having uh, residual fear and. Batman believes he needs to go to Santa Prisca. Uh, is that the name of where Bane lives? Uh, I always I forget. So. That's San Diego. <laughs> it's <Lowell>. somewhere. <laughs> Methuen. Brockton. Brockton. <laughs> Brockton. Even Brockton. <laughs> Bane, Bane wouldn't go to Brockton. <laughs> Bane would be like, ew, I'm going back to Santa Prisca. <laughs> but going to... Zihuatanejo. Going to... Stop it. <laughs> Going to retrieve Psycho Pirate to cure Gotham Girl. At face value, that's what this story arc is. Just not even under the hood. It's it's becoming something very different. Mm. It's it, it's at this point, and there's a potential for it to be about even more because I'm still not entirely sure what we're going to see with the ventriloquist and yeah. how he fits in and how Suicide Squad and Punch and Julie are totally going to fit into it. But it, right now, for the last issue or two, just under the covers, it's been about Batman's relationship to Catwoman mm. and redefining, I feel like, Catwoman. And really, you kind of brought this up to me, and the more I think about it, it's I was it's drunk really, in a bar. It's when I have my best ideas. Exactly. So drink up. <laughs> now, it's for, now it's for the money. But, All right. Uh, redefining Catwoman 
for DC Rebirth. Yes. Uh, as opposed to for 52, which fucked it up. Fucked Catwoman up. I find her up. very much by her tits. Like everything. I, I, I love when you were reviewing that as, as the book dropped when they were doing New 52. Everything looked like tits. Her goggles. Like her. Yeah. Like, it's a, I review. I went back because the thing is, the post New Fifty Two Catwoman uh, really did not survive past the first couple issues with no. our polls. I think I read one and three, and you got the zero issue and Ugh. reviewed that one. Uh, so yeah, Catwoman after New Fifty Two really did not stick too much into my head. No. There was everybody remembers. Oh, at the end of the first issue, uh, she fucked Batman. Yeah, that's all anybody remembers of the first issue, including. When I, I went back and read my review of it from when New 52 <laughs> dropped, and it's like, literally, I just read it. And all I remember about it is that <laughs> the Batman and Catwoman did the Dirty Batusi. That's all <laughs> the I... Dirty Batusi. I just finished it. <laughs> uh, and I reread my... Uh, yeah, it was when I reviewed three, uh, issue three. It was, uh, yeah, Jesus. They, they're drawing her goggles to look like a bra. They put tits on her face. <laughs> so it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. You can say, like, I, my eyes are up here. Okay. Yeah, so that was the, you know a hypersexualized you know the, ooh she's a naughty thief who's still who gets to fuck Batman, and then the zero issue when Anne Nascenti took it over and gave her almost a Batman Returns origin where yeah. the the kitties the kitties licked her back to life and I was just like come on yeah <laughs> and yeah other than that and she was in Justice League of America for a while. Yep. That's all I that's the entirety of what I understand about Catwoman in the New 52. I know she was a crime boss yeah. for a while about a year and a half ago, but it, so it it's a character that's been all over the place and it feels like King is really trying to redefine the character as a nemesis for Batman as a criminal. Yeah, she's she's apparently got 237 murders under her belt because she's been taking out people that that wronged her. Wronged her, abused her as a kid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's the whole thing here. So rather than just being a, a gentlewoman thief who who likes to have the sex, she is a murderer, and, and not just a murderer. Like a, like, a, like that. That's that's a body count that I, I, I you could I, beat off while reading about. <laughs> <laughs> Give me that book. <laughs> But I, I get the idea of wanting to make Catwoman a criminal nemesis for Batman again. Yeah. But there's got to be a happy medium in between the Ed Brubaker, no, she's kind of an anti-hero, but really kind of became a member of the Batman family. Yeah. There's got to be a happy medium between that and a really a Joker-level serial killer. Yeah. A, like, war criminal serial killer. That's, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a significant shift and and rationale because Batman's struggling with I can't I, I I need to turn you in I can't turn you in, and then she in this issue spoilers um, does something so <laughs> reprehensible um, that she sells out Batman to Bane. It's like now Batman again. I want to have the conversation with you like I would Jay Gatsby. I want to take you by the shoulders by the cape. What the fuck are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Stop being funny when I got a when I got a lung full of vape from my eating. Don't do that. Just, just. <coughs> I don't want something heavy to fall on Catwoman yet, but I'm getting there. <laughs> well, it's part of me is thinking that uh, I, I can't get over the happy medium. It's like, have her kill like 
two people. <laughs> have her have her shoot somebody. Yeah. The Batman is a thing about guns. The girlies fucking shoot somebody in the middle of that a robbery. That should be enough. That's really all it takes. Yeah, to be 237, and part of me wants to believe... 37? Yeah, the part, of, <laughs> part of me wants to believe that the Batman family editor had to... Part of me wants to believe King's first script was 37. <laughs> you know, to, to bring in mind the 37 dicks from Clerks, he's like, no, we can't do that. Just throw a two on there. Let's... let's <laughs> Let's go from whore to Hitler. Let's just Jesus. let's just make that jump right away. It's, <laughs> so it, it's it feels overblown. It's certainly a way to show that Catwoman is a criminal. It's certainly a way to put her firmly back on the criminal side of the fence to give Batman and Catwoman uh, an adversarial relationship to return potential sexual tension as opposed to just. Again, the question I asked when I read that first issue was, uh, I'm surprised that Batman leaves his crotch so unprotected (laughs) fighting crime at night. But, you know, 237 bodies should not, there should be no lingering sexual tension. Again, unless you're the sort of person that beats off to American Psycho. All right, I'm sorry I said that. That should have kept it quiet. (laughs) Now I know why that book's been sticky. (laughs) 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 Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I, like it. I knew that Jesus sound clip would pay off Christ. eventually. <laughs> if Catwoman has killed that many people, that really shouldn't she be the head of the League of Assassins? You She's think? the most effective ninja killer. <laughs> I mean, she, and she demonstrates her skills with it in this book. She she does awful things to Punch and Julie. That's uh, the worst fucking. I fucking team. hate Punch and Julie. I'm glad. That, spoilers. I'm glad they're dead. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're dead. <laughs> I don't think you. Can I mean, that. it's. A, I don't really think they're dead. This is a Batman book, so there will be plans within plans within plans. Is somebody gonna drop them in a Lazarus pit? <laughs> uh, who knows? Or it's all some kind of fake double blind, and everybody, you know, Batman and Catwoman are conning everybody else, Maybe. and you know, always a possibility. You know, again, it's a Batman book, and King has, a, has proven himself to be a pretty solid writer. Yeah, well, well you know, because they make the the point of doing a flashback where Bruce is like, "I don't know what to do," you know, regarding like his torn feelings about how to help or turn in Selena. This could be all part of the plan, so that he gets her into Bane's fiefdom so that Bane can give her what she needs to escape. It's possible. And then it's out of his hands. It's possible. And so it could be, it, it could prove to be a fake killing to get her on Bane's side. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, all I know is in the middle of this psychologically dense issue of Batman and Catwoman dancing around each other emotionally and Catwoman and Ventriloquist talking about the nature of control and is the mask there to make you able to be worse or is the mask there because you were bad all along and Batman emotionally strung up to the point where he's willing to break Bane's damn back, which we've been hearing for two issues and is really... Wow, that's strong from Batman. It is that's, strong from Batman. In the middle of that, we get a page and a half of Punch and Julie making fun of Bronze Tiger. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, tonally, it was out of place. I don't like the characters at all. Well, I think it was intended to make you not like them so that when they died, you didn't care as much. <laughs> Mission accomplished. <laughs> 
I like, oh, geez, now we're up to 239. I applaud. Good. (laughs) Kill him again. Slower. (laughs) Describe what you're doing. Yeah. So, uh, fuck Punch and Julie. I'm glad they're gone. (laughs) One interesting thing that I've noticed that uh, King has been doing since he took over the title and he continues it in this, he's changing how Batman names things. Hmm. Uh, the the big example that leapt right out in Batman One was he stopped calling Alfred Penny One over the radio. Yeah, which was the stupidest code name in the world. <laughs> Who could he be talking uh, to? Number one, I'd like to believe, uh, as I, I believe King would like to believe, that Batman would have at least semi secure encrypted communications. Yes, uh, with the Batcave. Uh, I've got that with you on my Samsung phone that I picked up <laughs> at the mall. Yes, the Batman should be able to do. He should be able to. He should be. Re- he should be able to refer to everybody by their social security number and home address. Yeah. Without worrying about he should being be rocking intercepted. a Linux box. Yeah. Just- <laughs> the only thing Penny One did was sort of potentially foreshadow that we'd get Julia Pennyworth eventually. Yeah. Uh, whether that was uh, whether that was the intention <laughs> all along, who knows? But uh, King got rid of that from Snyder, and in this issue, what stands out. And I think works up to a certain point, but only up to a certain point, is Batman and Catwoman just refer to each other as Bat and Cat. And it's interesting because it's effective as a way to, by omission, accentuate the the man and woman. Mm. So sort of almost subconsciously, I found it it shows, yep, it's a man and a woman and there's tension there. Uh, The problem is... It's also... also, it's as much as they could manage to have as diminutives for each other, but not be like lovey-dovey, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, it, no, nowhere in there is Catwoman going, oh, Pookie. Now, like, <laughs> now, Bane, hear me out. If you don't give me a plane, Pookie is going to break your damn back. <laughs> Loveykins is going to take your anterior cruciate ligament and show it to you. <laughs> No, you're right. I hadn't thought of of that. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was yeah, I was going more for the the by omission. The problem I had with it is because it is a brand new way of doing things. I don't think I've ever seen. It, it kind of feels weird. I mean, I've been reading Batman comics for forty years at this point, and to see them not just a cage, but repeatedly over two or three pages, to the point where it has to be on purpose that King is hammering it for a reason. Yeah. Uh, it just it, it feels a little weird. I get what he's doing with it, and it's interesting. It is. But it also kind of stands out a little bit. It's for for the cloak of suspension of disbelief. It's sort of, it's like, oh, are those boxers under there? What are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst metaphor I've ever come up with in my life. It's, <laughs> I'm going to give up now. It's all over. You damn fool. You're more useless than Aquaman. I can't do it anymore. That, uh, I, okay. won't even, I won't even continue. So <laughs> It could be a thong. Uh. <laughs> Does Bruce Wayne seem like a thong kind of guy? <laughs> Maybe he has like one of those cock socks, like <laughs> <laughs> banana hammock. <laughs> I mean, I don't see any visible panty lines under his spandex. Maybe dancer's belt. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I'm just. I'm desperately looking at my sound effects board. <laughs> I, I have nothing here that will apply to this. I've <laughs> Maybe he just goes commando. <laughs> I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. Clearly he was not protecting his junk in Catwoman 1. No. no. 
Uh, the one other thing I want to call anything else story wise you want to talk about because I want to talk a minute about uh, Mikkel Janins. What kind of yeah. parents would name their kid that? Uh, the art in this, uh, I've uh, the first time I think I saw his art was in Justice League Dark. Yeah, with, uh, the new Fifty Two. That's least where it's the I first, recall seeing it. It's the first time it jumped out at me, and he was also the first comic creator to uh, ever write to us when we were a print. Uh, print outfit and it was to correct us because we'd fuck something up but at least he was nice enough to let us know and not yes. call us a dick but <laughs> to our face but yeah there's some really cool stuff going on in this book the one thing I want to call out is there's a double page layout of Catwoman and Ventriloquist crawling through sewer pipes looking for Bane yes and just the way it's laid out it's nothing but interconnected pipes in seemingly random patterns across both pages and just the figures moving through it by dint of, okay, we'll draw them here and have the dialogue. And you follow the dialogue and the pipes across and up and down and around. Uh, it was just a, a really clever way yeah. to not only indicate the motion through this confusing sewage system, but to, to do it relatively compactly. You know, yeah, it's a big, uh, it's a big spread, but it's wide open. So the, the the pacing is very leisurely. You just sort of follow along, and it's very easy to follow. Yeah. So it was pretty solid storytelling. There was one one area in the middle where the word balloon order kind of threw me off a little bit, but visually it was really stunning. I really liked it. Yeah, no, I I, I thought it was laid out very well and easy to follow, unlike some doubles page spreads that you see from some other folks. Hi, Bendis. <laughs> <laughs> so also shout out to... Um, King in terms of whatever script he gave the artist so that this could happen. Yes. That was that was really a glorious glorious thing right in the middle. Yes. It's weird. This this arc I don't think is as strong as King's first arc. And that first issue he did with Batman intercepting an airliner on the way down, prepared to die doing it. Yeah. Where it is nonstop action and problem solving and just high-end action movie pacing. I don't think he's ever going to get better than that. That was that was a way to come in right after Scott Snyder's extremely well-regarded, for generally good reasons. Yeah. Uh, you and I have had some problems with some of the stuff that he did, but to come in and just put a stamp on it's like, nope, I can do this. <laughs> it's never going to get better than that, I don't think. Well, I, I think after a certain point, too, you also have to kind of ease up on the pedal. So I see this arc as spending more time with the villains for the purpose of now he's going to establish relations with those. Yeah, and he's certainly... I, I don't know if he's decided I'm going to make my mark on Catwoman the way Scott Snyder did with Joker. Maybe. Uh, I hope he's not doing it with Ventriloquist because, man, you can aim higher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd be curious to see what Ventriloquist's purpose is in this. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm always glad to see Ventriloquist because, uh, yeah, from back in those those 90s Batman and Detective Comics, Alan Grant, Norm Brayfogle, that's where that came from. Yeah. So I loved those when I was a kid. But at the same time, nobody's screaming, when are we going to get a Batman movie with the fucking Ventriloquist? Nobody's <laughs> said by nobody ever. So. Yeah. So we'll be curious to see where that goes. Although, again, I, I think this is some sort of, it's a it's a double double blind. This is to get Selena, what she needs, and absolve Bruce of responsibility. 
It's very possible because God knows Catwoman is never going to disappear. And even if she appears to get killed in this for whatever reason, it's comics. Yeah. It ain't going to happen forever. It, look, if I don't have confidence punching Julie or fucking dead, I don't think you're going to kill Catwoman. Can they and, be dead, please? I'd oh, like them to be dead. I'd be okay with that. But <laughs> it's, a, it's weird in that part of me wants to say, yeah, it's not as strong as that first arc. But what he's trying to do here, there's really stories within stories it's like i said it's simple to start with i gotta go at psycho pirate to save gotham girl and yet there's also this big story between batman and catwoman going on yes and there's potentially a story between batman and ventriloquist and the entire extent of how bronze tiger is going to fit into all this it's there's a lot going on here and so, why does he keep saying that he's gonna break bane's <clears throat> goddamn back that just uh I think he's gonna break Bane's goddamn back. Yeah, but that's that that seems out of character for Batman. It does, but think about where Batman is right now. Uh right after rebirth, uh number one, he's one of the few people who realizes, oh, my entire universe is bullshit and has been manipulated by uh Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Uh, so just knowing that he's part of a Watchmen story that wasn't written by Alan Moore, I'm surprised he hasn't found a stout uh stout <laughs> beam and a strong rope. <laughs> But even knowing that, uh, yeah, just in the last few months, uh, as far as he knows, uh, he's lost Red Robin. Tim Drake has yep. died on his watch. Yeah, it's <laughs> just that alone, and it's uh, okay. And I his th- and his girlfriend has committed two hundred and thirty seven, two hundred thirty nine now murders. Yeah, two hundred thirty nine murders. <laughs> and uh, uh, shit, I just had one and lost it. Fuck. Do you got one? <laughs> um. Off the top of my head, <laughs> there was oh, there was something else I was going to say. I can't remember something something else that he he lost or had to give up on, but I, I don't remember. Fuck yeah, it. I don't I don't remember either. Damn beer, give me more. Beer is good. You should have some. Yeah, it takes my brain away. I can't remember shit. <laughs> In the final analysis, this is a much denser story than the first arc. With that said, if you're looking for the big slam bang Batman action that you got in Batman One. There, there really hasn't been a ton of it, particularly in the last couple of issues. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is sort of played out like a heist story. They have to go in and, and, and the heist is getting psycho pirates. Yeah, but it's uh, the number of interpersonal stories that are going on here and could potentially go on here. It's uh, really making res- me respect it more than I, uh, more yeah. than I originally thought. So, and look, it's strong enough. I read it when we first got our polls this week. I'm like, uh, all right, there's not a hell of a lot going on here. And then, yeah, the, the bar last night, we talked about it for 25 minutes. We so, did. So there's, there's a lot going on here. It's, uh, Thank I you, give this Pinot a recommendation. <laughs> Pinot Noir and uh, fine, Berkshire Brewing Company. Actually, I was drinking Lord Hobo last you night. Were. <laughs> you were. You were. From Woburn, Mass. It was pretty good. It was good. If you're in the North, Some sort of session IPA. Uh, yeah, it fucked me up good. I enjoyed it. <laughs> All right, want to move on to uh, Demonic? Yeah. All right, Demonic number four. Uh, we talked about Demonic number one back in August, uh, written by Christopher Sabella, uh, art by Nico Walker. Walter. So, Walter? Walter. Sorry, I'm going by my handwriting here, which nobody should do. <laughs> nobody. But uh, Nico Walter. All right. Uh, so yeah, we haven't talked about this since the first issue came out in August. As I recall, we both liked it. Yeah, it, I mean... it. I am always a fan of of horror stories, of which this is, and Sabella is quite open um, in the back matter of this book, as well as on his social media, um, about his love of, of horror movies. So that's sort of where this comes from. Oh, we, we follow Sabella on Twitter. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, he watches the same 
sorry, Amanda, uh, Chris, hot garbage <laughs> in the in the depths of Netflix that you need to wait for me to be unconscious That's to watch. True. Just that you know, made by you know Alan Smithy, just, <laughs> just shot with a video camera. <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example, but I I tried to skip. There was one. One you made me watch, and it was it was actually okay, but it's not a thing that that something of Deborah Logan. Oh no, that wasn't one of his suggestions. I just found that on my own. Um, I think the one that I made you watch was the one that was based on um, a couple of kids breaking into or sneaking into Bohemian Grove and then getting whacked. See, I don't remember this, and I'm glad. <laughs> I feel okay. I, what the fuck is a Bohemian Grove? I'm not going there again. The last time we did, it's the where all the powerful dudes show up and then pee on trees. <laughs> So for ten dollar, <laughs> all you can eat testicle fat. So pretty much, pretty much. I I don't remember this at all. That's okay. I mean, it's, I've clearly put it in the same mental space as Zardoz, <laughs> which I tried to watch drunk. I don't recommend it. Streamscape. <laughs> oh, I watched that sober. Yeah, yeah to, you're lecturing me about my choices. <laughs> I dialed it up on TiVo drunk. I was hungover yesterday, and I thought, oh, this will be fun. 1980s, and uh, I've heard it's well regarded and an inspiration for uh, Inception. And to, to go full AT, uh, SAT. <laughs> we talked about this yesterday. Uh, Inception is to Dreamscape. <laughs> As a ribeye steak is to a runny meat dump. Oh, Jesus. It's one may have come before the other, <laughs> but that doesn't mean. <laughs> Jesus. You, sir, are a poet. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Real wordsmith. <laughs> uh, so we were talking about demonic. <laughs> <laughs> demonic. No, I mean. So yes, you are a horror movie fan, I am. Uh, particularly '80s slasher, which I have a certain affinity for certain ones because I was in, I was a teenager. It's not like I didn't see any of them. You know, I was prime time at the time. Although I didn't see as many as most of my friends, I was I not a, not get a to, huge fan. I didn't get to see a lot of them until after I moved out of the house. Honestly, like everything else. <laughs> yeah, along with the along with Atari. <laughs> yeah, I'd go to the video store and I'd look at the back of a cassette box where they live <laughs> look hopefully at my dad and he'd shake his head and, and I'd put it down and sigh <laughs> that was my childhood quit smiling you idiot you're supposed to be a professional <laughs> I pressed the wrong button that's okay so I, I now me- that worked I meant to press this one you just want to suck the joy out of everything <laughs> yeah well <laughs> alright so yes you are an aficionado of uh, 80s slasher fix flicks Ugh. Far more than I am, although I've seen them. So let's go back to the basic concept behind it, if you missed the the episode where we talked about it. We had a police detective, Scott Graves. He's haunted by a demon uh, who he apparently was exposed or, to. Or possessed by a demon, I think is more... Very possibly. Yeah. Uh, but either way, this, this demon is demanding that he kill guilty people or she will kill him or his family. Yeah. So. It's his daughter. This is to keep his daughter safe, and the daughter has some sort of affliction that can only be cured because he's made this pact with this demon. Right. And when we started out, his overarching need, you know, it's everything. All right, what does the character want? Well, he wants to have this burden taken from him. He wants the demon pulled from him. A few issues later, that is not necessarily the case. No, he's enjoying the killing. Right. And the superpowers that come with it. Right. It's it's interesting to me 
and I've really enjoyed this more and more as it's gone along, this title is, it, it really has evolved just in the course of a few issues. It really was to start with a straight 80s type horror movie. Yeah. And this thing, you know, it infects you and it gives you a costume that's half Freddy Krueger and half Spawn. Yeah, and also it it comes from a place of, you know, since this is, influenced by 80s slasher flicks and all of that. Um, if you think about the big Satan cult panics from the 80s and how they were kidnapping their kids and the ritual sacrifice. You know, I had not made that connection, but yeah, shit. That was, but Graves you... and some others were apparently part of some sort of cult that were the ones that implanted these demons in the children to begin with. Right, the, the one story that <laughs> wound up being true. Because yeah, uh, the... The one guy he finds, the librarian, yeah. uh, flat out says at one point, it's like, you know, no, we weren't just looking at D&D monster manuals. And <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's, I hadn't even made that connection that Sabella is really tying in. Yeah, 80s satanic panic. Yeah. And Dungeons and Dragons panic, that fucking TV movie where Tom Hanks was oh God. sold is sold to Gary Gyrax. <laughs> Gyrax or... What's his name? I don't know. <laughs> I, I know, but I... would name the kid that. Yeah, I, I can't pronounce it any more than you can. Right. <laughs> Steve Jackson. He sold it to Steve Jackson. <laughs> Gary Gygax. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I had made that connection. But yeah, so he's going full, full 80s, and yet it's not. Because the key with all those 80s slasher flicks was there was there was a, almost a goof behind him. Once you get past... The John Carpenter's Halloween and Sean Cunningham. Well, he was the producer. I forget who, or did he direct Friday the Thirteenth? I forget off the top of my head. But yeah, once you get past those, it, it becomes slasher flicks become more and more like goofy extreme superhero movies. It's a, they're yeah. not villains. You know, Freddy Krueger stopped being a villain after any Nightmare on Elm Street numbered after two. Well, he kind of addresses this in the in the essay here. It's in the back of this. There's a point where you start to identify and root, identify with and root for the killer, rather than the the person who's finally going to take the killer out at the end of the movie. Right. the The final girl starts being just okay. We'll get one last kill after we play the tinkly piano music, saying, "Oh, we all got away." Yeah. <laughs> and that's really what yeah 80s slasher movies became, and the kills became goofy. I mean, so if yeah. you really look at... <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that there's a thing that exists called um, Freddy versus Jason is just... Yeah. <laughs> like, how ridiculous and over the top can we make this? Yeah. This is no longer about scaring. This is this is blood porn. This is... <laughs> uh, yeah, it was... Uh, how can we get in Fangoria? Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, that's cool. You know, to cynical 80s teenagers who are, you know... <laughs> we didn't have Netflix and chill. We had furtive hand jobs in the back of a public movie theater because that was the only place we could go. Or if you had a car, the drive-in. <laughs> there were no drive-ins in the eighties. There was still we drive-ins. Already, they're already dead by by the. We where, had a drive-in like, where, next town over. Where I grew up, we had a drive-in right when I started high school, and it was gone by the time I had a car. Is it the one that was over the um, state line in Rhode Island? No, that one was still there. Okay. But uh, even then, it was. Uh, yeah, it wasn't until college. When I was in college, there was a drive-in. Yeah, I finally tricked some girl into going there. <laughs> didn't didn't work. But <laughs> now we had one that was the the next town over. It was I know because my dad would have us go there to the exclusion of all else because you could get everybody in for five dollars and he was cheap. Did he put you in the trunk? No, <laughs> it was not in the I'm trunk. 
Oh, we had um, we had my mom's station wagon, so my sister and I would be in the back of that. And again, too cheap for anything. Mom would have to pop popcorn ahead of time, and we'd bring soda because God forbid we go to the concession stand. Oh yeah, see, and that's the problem. Growing up in the '80s to go to a drive-in, that was by then Mothers Against Drunk Drivers was a thing. Yeah, I could see going to the drive-in with like a case of beer. <laughs> and uh, yeah, once the windows fog up, you know, yeah, you're, you're drunk, and okay, everybody does their thing, and you know, mops up, <laughs> you know, it catches the last reel of uh, Freddie chopping up a fucking cheerleader. <laughs> That's fine. That's a solid night out. Okay, but <laughs> well, I think the last movie I actually saw at a drive-in was in 1991, and I think it was Silence of the Lambs. I, uh, Jesus, that's a terrible movie to see on drive-in. It was a, not a very good date, frankly. <laughs> I, uh, that was, before you and I got together, I was I was dating somebody who went to the drive-in a few times. I forget, this would have been 2000, 2001. Wow, okay. So, because, yeah, it's, uh, they're still, they're still around if you want to find them. Yeah, there's, you, uh. You gotta drive to them, but, <laughs> duh, you gotta drive to a drive-in. Thank you, Berkshire Brewing Company. You've made me the articulate radio host that I'm saying. <laughs> Words. They're good things. <laughs> what? Stand in the Oswald. No But uh, getting way back off to track the, here. Getting well, back to the book. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's clearly, even in ways I hadn't thought of, it's grabbing all the elements of 80s horror. Yeah. But it's legitimately horrific. He's being corrupted by this power. Yes. Uh, he he likes it. He doesn't want to get rid of it anymore. He wants to control it. He wants to, yeah, I love going out and killing people. If we get rid of the piece where they say they're going to kill my daughter, that'd be fine. But, uh, yeah, wiping people out like Spawn, you know, up to the, and yeah, decapitating people with one eye rolled up. It's the, the violence here is over the top in a way of 80s movies, but still horrific. Big, big blood. The point where he just throws knives and kills 14 fucking people on stairways. Yeah. yeah that's big, stupid 80s horror movie well, stuff. It's, but. In a way, it's it's um, the horror movie from the villain's point of view, if you think about it. Yes. Except there's in no way, in no way is it being portrayed as, oh, this is all fun and we're all having fun together. It's, uh, no, I, I enjoy killing these assholes. Right. Right. So. But, you know, this is like if, if we were doing this from, from Jason's point of view. You know, I, so then he... After he's done killing the camp counselors, he goes back to you know, wherever it is that he hangs out, the lake or whatever, and is thinking about, you know, how horrible it is that nobody took care of him better when he was there as a camper. And, you know, he has, was wrong and you knew it. <laughs> yeah. Has, has those introspective moments where he sees himself as doing awful things, but still the hero of his own story. <laughs> oh, of course. It's a, <laughs> yeah, if there's any introspection in Freddy Krueger, apparently this is where it's happening. Yeah. So... But it's a, there's also a human element in that he's not just a big cartoon killer. He has coworkers and family, and this is really tearing all of them apart. Yeah. So there's a human element, a relationship element here that you don't get in those old movies. That, that makes what's happening to him even more tragic. It's a, it's in its own way. It's a, yeah. It's a big. 80s horror movie, 90s image comic. Yes. You know, big brooding, oh, I'm haunted and I will go out and kill, and but it's fucking up his real life, something awful. Yeah, and I think his, it's funny because there's a detective who's on his trail who, who believes that he is responsible for these murders, because he is. Well, and, and only he, in the sense that he actually murdered these people. 
No, but and he thinks he's being slick by trying to um, implant suggestions with Graves' wife. But oh, you know, he's he's working on something. But don't tell him that I told you. And the wife knows pretty much what's going on. There's a room that she that's locked that nobody can get into. And you know, as far back as the first issue, they were having the conversation about like letting the their past with the cult go. She yeah. knows what's going on. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it. she's she's not under any illusions. <laughs> I mean, for Christ's sake, she has the key to the room. Yeah, if she hasn't gone in there, it's purely by okay. I I respect you. Yeah, you and you can have your man cave that's locked. <laughs> Are you in there reading American Psycho and touching yourself? <laughs> I'm not going to let right. that go. I'm not. Oh, <laughs> I've said some dumb shit in my life. <laughs> some of it into a microphone. Let's uh, just add one up to that list. <laughs> So I I'm I'm going to be curious now that she's gone in there as to what fallout comes from that. Well, I, I she think, was part of the cult too. You know, we don't know what was possibly implanted in her. Well, I, I think one thing that's being telegraphed here is everything is about I have to protect my daughter. This thing happened to me when I was an innocent child. I have to protect my daughter. I think what's being telegraphed is she will be the final collateral girl. damage. She'll be the final girl. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> The daddy, I'll I'll kill you with this chainsaw. She's like five. I don't think she's gonna. Be no, the-, the wife. <laughs> oh, the wife will be the final girl. Yeah. See, I think it's telegraphing that the kid will be corrupted in some way. Possibly. Keep in mind, this is Chris Sabella, who in High Crimes has you know, this protagonist go through this hell and you know, swear that I am gonna get over my self-destructive boozing ways and by the within two weeks after coming back she's well on her way to being nobody learns anything no. often in a Chris Sabella <laughs> book and that's why I like them because <laughs> there's a good chance nobody learns anything and that's real life it's true so it's true so there's the, not one to grow on there right so the cycle of corruption of parent to child when you were corrupted as a child yeah now I can see that potentially being a thing here I and mean, that intrigues yeah. me. Yeah. It's, you know, because, yeah, the, the final girl, even in the shittiest 80s horror movie, gets away. Doesn't get killed sometimes. Gets killed immediately in the next movie sometimes. Right. But she gets away. And like, if he's sort of taking 80s horror movies tropes and turning them over, the, I, I would like to see nobody get away. To me, that would be nihilistic, but satisfying. Yeah. Something very different. And... Watch me be dead fucking wrong. But what the hell? Gets gets away, but is possessed. Yeah, that's something like that. Michelle that's, Pfeiffer at the end of Wolf. It's a, a, yeah, give me, a, give me the end of the omen. The parents are dead, but Damien's still trucking right along. <laughs> That'd be fine. That'd be all right. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I'm enjoying it uh, in a way, I think you're getting it more in the 80s horror movies end, where the, the one thing for similar thematic stuff that it reminds me of is... Uh, the first arc of Luther Strode by okay. Justin Jordan and Trad Moore. Yeah. Oh. Where it was very much a, okay, they, they had the realization, and it's the first time I had the realization was through their interpretation of, yeah, these 80s horror movies really are comic books. Yeah. The, you know, the only difference between Wolverine and Freddy Krueger is where the knives are, and it's a dream, and who's supposed to be the villain. Right. So uh, there's... A similar vibe going to this, but you being a bigger fan of the genre, I think it's hitting you more 
uh, whereas I'm more of a superhero guy, the the Luther Strode version really clicked with me. Yeah, more, but it's still I'm really digging this. Well, it means you know for it, there's something for everybody who's in comicdom to like in this book as long as you are okay with horror stories. Exactly. If he, you're not, <laughs> yeah, he might dress like a '90s superhero, <laughs> like like half Wolverine, half Spawn, half Ragman. That's that's yeah, a lot of halves. Okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he's not an anti-hero. No, no, he's not. <laughs> so. Anything else on demonic? No, um, I think we've, we've covered that fairly. Before we loop back to it for obvious reasons, after yes. we talk about this next book. Kill or Be Killed. Kill or Be Killed, number four, written by Ed Brubaker, art by Sean Phillips. An absolutely spectacular comics team for years and years, going back to at least Sleeper. I loved Sleeper. Maybe before that. Um, we have not talked about this book before as much as we, we love the work that these guys have done over the years. Because honestly, I missed the first issue when it came out. By the time I got to the comics, I didn't put it on my pulls. By the time I got to the comic store, it was sold out. So Because they're popular. Right, because they're popular and because nobody sends us review copies. <laughs> Just a hint. <laughs> Caught up with it about a month later. Uh, they reprinted issue one and got issue two, so now we're up to speed with it. Yes, uh, this uh, particular book is about a guy named Dylan Cross. Another guy with a last name <laughs> with a, a double meaning, mm-hmm. you know, Cross, Graves. Get yeah, it? yeah. Yes, uh, and he uh, is uh, he's being haunted by a demon, maybe possessed by a demon who uh, wants him to kill bad people or else he'll uh, kill him. Gosh, it seems like an awfully similar premise. Yeah. <laughs> and, they're, and they're both pum- published by Image. Yeah, and they come out on the, the same day uh, every month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, look, we'll, we'll talk about the obvious parallels after we talk about this, uh, this book and this individual uh, issue itself. But look, first of all, these guys do really great pulpy genre comics when they work together. Yes. It's you know from Sleeper, which was an undercover spy story really wrapped in the Wildstorm superhero universe, to Criminal, which are, yeah, just good pulpy crime stories, to the criminal one-shots they've been <laughs> doing that have like a crime story wrapping these other comic books that... Yeah, like the Archie books and... <laughs> well, no, that that was uh, Last of the Innocents. Oh, okay, right. Which Sorry. was a criminal arc uh, that basically everybody was a, a pastiche of the Riverdale universe <laughs> yeah, with uh, Archie and for descending into drugs and crime yep. and just remembering the good old days as <laughs> their lives just spin off into doom as they hit their 30s, like most of us do. Yeah. It's not the years, it's the mileage. <laughs> Taking that a little personal, aren't you? <laughs> just a little. Just a little. Because you talk about 80s horror movies and hand jobs in the back of the theater. Anyway. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, this is, uh, is kind of Taxi Driver. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, before I go into that, it's uh, any impressions you've got? Anything you want to... Well, I, I went into it, you know, having read Demonic, you can't not try to draw some parallels in your mind because the premise starts off similarly. The, the kernel is the same in a lot of ways. But for me, it was, I, I always, whenever um, the creators put stuff in the back of these books, I feel it's important to read it because it kind of helps in terms of understanding where they're coming from and what they're trying to examine. Oh, absolutely. And if you're a fan of the Brubaker Phillips books, and you're buying them in trades, you're really doing yourself a disservice because Brubaker makes a point of bringing in guest writers to do essays at the as back matter. And those don't make it to the trades? I don't think so. Okay. Uh, 
of all the individual issues. So you, you get, yeah, little history lessons on things that either inspired the books or are sort of parallel to the books or historical things that happened that inspired them. Mm-hmm. And it's, I've not read one that was not, at best, it's like, okay, this is an interesting take on something I already knew. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like, holy shit, I had no idea. That's awesome. So the first three books had essays by Devin Farisi, I think is the name. And those books... What kind of parents would name their kid that? <laughs> anyway, go ahead. The, those um, essays covered uh, um, analyzing various revenge horror sh- um, movies. So Death Wish, Old Boy, yep. um, I Spit on Your Grave. Yep. And the idea that, you know, wh- what, is, what are we trying to say through this revenge story? Right. And this one gets, uh, this one is got an essay by Jess Nevins, who's written essays for Brubaker and Phillips before. And don't take this as gospel because I'm going from memory as I, uh, as I open my third beer. <laughs> but uh, I think Nevins runs, and, and again, don't take this as gospel. I think he runs the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen uh, annotation sites where okay. he goes through each League of Extraordinary Gentlemen book and annotates. Oh, wow. This is a reference to this, and this is a reference to this, and this is a reference to this. It's it, If you can remember, Amanda, remind me to look that up, if if that is accurate. If it's not, sorry, Jess, uh, I just gave you credit for something awesome. <laughs> sorry, whoever did those uh, those websites. Uh, Rock drinks. I'll try to get back to you. But, <laughs> but the this essay is about you know the idea of making a deal with the devil. Yes, and, and historically, what that means, and what I'm finding interesting about this book, in a way that I I am not necessarily with demonic, is this one really much more explores the idea of what if this really is in this kid's head? What if he's using this delusion that he's being haunted by a demon to create somatic complaints because he's feeling really sick by the end of the month if he doesn't kill someone? that are then alleviated by the act of killing, and he's trying to kill people who are bad in order to make him feel better about himself in the vigilante sense. His dad killed himself. There's a history of mental illness in the family. Yes, the most interesting part of this book to me is the fact that Dylan, by nature, I think you have to... You have to see him as an unreliable narrator. Yes. Every issue starts with an act of vigilante violence that really doesn't happen. Like this particular issue, it's almost straight out of Death Wish. Yeah. You know, two, I mean, I, I say 70s punks, but literal 70s punks. Big green mohawk mm-hmm. on the subway accosting an old it's, lady. It's very Death Wish. <laughs> right. But it's, even that, he's like, and every time he says, oh, I'm getting away from myself, it's, I don't think any of those opening things happen. I don't no. think we're meant to believe that they actually happen. Well, no, and in this case, he said that that couldn't happen anyway because there's cameras. <laughs> right. <laughs> you get caught. There's no good way to escape when you do that. Right. So right out of the gate from the first issue, we're shown things that don't happen. So we can't, and he says, he says, I'm getting away from myself. And yeah. I don't think you can trust anything he says, and yeah, the the interesting thing to me is how much of this is real. Yeah, the uh, the relationship with Kira that is such a motivating force. I would be honestly surprised if that's not in his head. It could be that is such a wish fulfillment up to a point until 
you know, oh, my beautiful childhood friend, you know, it finds me more attractive than this person and we're having a relationship on the sly and nobody knows about it, right up until events in his life make it so that, all right, I, I can't even really believe that anymore. So it's, it, no, she she broke up with me in air quotes. We can't be together anymore. Yeah. And yeah, it's with the history of mental illness in the family and the suicide attempts and the self-medicating and how much of this is in any way real. Right. Which makes it kind of cool because it's the constant trying to puzzle through, at least for me, of, okay, where could this be coming from? Is this legitimate in any way? Yeah. And and, and it's the, the reliance on his memories of his dad and, and the fact that his dad also killed himself and his dad's artwork. Dad viewed himself as a zero because he never achieved what he wanted to in life by getting into advertising. So he was reduced to paying the bills by drawing erotic illustrations for fantasy and science fiction pulp magazines. And I will say this, shout out to Sean Phillips for the range of artwork he shows between the gritty pulpy day-to-day life for Dylan and then uh, the flashbacks to Dylan's dad's artwork, which is this, this glossy, erotic, you know, almost sort of, Boris vallejo <laughs> Oh, yeah. And all demons. Franzetta, yeah. Yeah, to, to show where some of the concept of, oh, demons are all around us and they're telling me what to do. Right. Yeah, so, so yeah, the, the unreliable narrator, it, 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 it works for me and it doesn't. Because here's the problem, and I've said it before on the show, when I think there is a twist, <laughs> I, I spend all my energy on the story almost all my energy trying to figure out what it is and say, okay, I think this is what's happening. And at that point, I'm half checked out, just going, just tell me if I'm fucking right or not. That's all I care about. Am I right? And that this is running a risk. There have been enough things dropped in. This is the first time I really thought in this issue was, okay, I think the, I think the relationship with Kira is bullshit. I think it's all in his head. It's possible. So now that's it. Just fucking show that to me. Let's get to that point. <laughs> Uh, because it, this guy's methods are so awful and stupid, you know. He he buys off, you know. He goes to clearance sales and buys hoodies and ski masks like nobody's going to notice. <laughs> like he's a fucking master criminal. Is there anything else you want today with that ski mask, sir? <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, it's the uh, the first guy he kills who winds up uh, having child porn on his computer. Yeah, I wonder how much of that is just you know. I, I wonder if. If the whole thing of, oh, it happened to a friend of mine, because the whole issue one thing of that was, oh, no, he talked about molesting the friend. Well, I'm wondering if, no. Maybe this was him. Yeah. And and it ties into, that's the tricky part about the back matter. It's not all about urban vigilante stories with revenge stories. And Mr., particularly with Old Boy, where, you know, the guy tricks him into doing things that he wouldn't normally do. Well, thematically, he talks about Death Wish insofar as the protagonist should be, in any sane sense of a movie, working to prove the people that would speak poorly of the immigrants and others that are are coming into the city that are causing the problems. Right. He would be trying to prove that, no, you're wrong, and and be a vigilante to stand, stand up for those people, but instead, because of one brutal act, and he never goes after Jeff Goldblum and company, <laughs> he goes after everybody else. Yeah, but... Uh, that's that that's that's comics baby if, no, but if, if batman caught joe chill there is no batman no but my point being is like your 
the liberalism that that character espouses at the beginning of the movie must be so fragile. <laughs> of course it's fragile. He's Charles Bronson. <laughs> we just watched that movie like two or three months ago. I know. When Charles Bronson says, yep, I'm a bleeding heart liberal. I'm like, but but you're Charles Bronson. No, you're not. <laughs> exactly. So, um, and then in Old Boy, the idea of... <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Me and my wife just need money for food. Show them. Show them both. In Old Boy, the idea that... I'm sorry. The impact you may have had on somebody else's life that you don't even know the degree to which you've impacted them and how that can come back to haunt you. In the, in, I have to go back and, and rewatch Old Boy at this point because it's and been I, so long since I've seen it. And I think you've watched it one or two more times yeah. than I have. Um, it, it makes you wonder in terms of the... And also, I spit on your grave. The idea there that the... I spit on your grave was the back matter of issue three. two or three. It was okay. three. So yeah. I just I just, just did those in order. Just so we don't think, you know, oh, and by the way, I spit on your grave is a good, great thing to talk about. Um, I haven't actually seen that one. They describe it fairly well in that essay, so I'm not sure that I need to see it. But how the the girl who is, is raped takes agency and then whacks everybody involved. That's my understanding of it. At some point, I'll get my hands on the DVD, and I'll watch it for the... Uh, for the Joe Bob Briggs commentary that's on it, but right. So it, it leads me back to if they're spending all of this time in the first three essays dealing with the issue of revenge, how much of it is the people that he's going after? In some, he knows them in some way, and and things have happened to himself that he doesn't want to take ownership of. Well, it's in this case, I think in the the murders that he commits in issue four of not only the human trafficker, but the stripper slash prostitute yeah. who he was trying to save, who bears at least a passing resemblance to Kira with yeah. reddish hair. And I wonder how much of that is imprinting Kira on her and, oh no, she's... The dual feelings of you know the the Madonna whore. She's yep. a whore. I have to save her, but she's a whore, so I'm gonna kill her. And I just I wonder how much again unreliable narrator with right. mental problems. Well, and that's just what I'm saying. Like how, how much of you know it, it probably wasn't Tommy who was molested. It was probably him. You know, it was. Yeah. <laughs> so he, on an unconscious level, he's trying to take revenge against those who have somehow wronged him in his mind to whatever degree that they have and now have moved on with their lives and forgotten about him. Yes. And and he's using the excuse of a deal with the devil in order to enact this. And and that's what makes it interesting how much of it is real. And I think very little of it. Yeah. And it's it, it sort of comes down to again to go back to 70s vigilante flicks, you got Travis Bickle and you got Paul Kersey. And they both do exactly the same shit. They go out and kill some criminals in New York City. Yes. But they're very different characters. One of them is motivated by insanity, and mm-hmm. the other one in a largely right-wing, oh, God, the Mongols are at the gate, and the only solution is to kill them all. But ultimately, it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, ultimately. <laughs> it's a really interesting book there's 
there's a lot going on, but it, again, it's uh, I start to see a twist. Uh, I'm really starting to get in the mode of I think this is bullshit. I think <laughs> this is in his head. I, <laughs> well, it's not like he sees dead people. Uh, <laughs> no, he just sees the devil. He'll see yeah. dead people soon enough. Well, and also there's a flash, and it lasts briefly and then goes away again, where when he's with the demon for the second time, he can, as he's watching, he knows that this person cheated on their husband or wife, and this one beats their kids, and this one does that. And How long before that comes back and is a thing, and when does he start you know, looking at his roommate Mason and seeing an excuse to kill him, or looks at Kira and sees an excuse to kill her? Yeah, and actually just sitting here thinking about it, going back to the first issue... The, the way things play out and the way he describes his mental state. Uh, Dylan attempts suicide. Yes. Uh, and survives it and says, the the manic high, everything's going to be great. I'm going to, everything is beautiful. I'm going to be clear. Uh, and then soon after starts to get sick. It's, you hear stories about people on medication saying, you know, I feel great. I've had a moment of, I feel wonderful and I'm going to live differently now. What if he stopped his meds after yeah. this near death experience? And that explains his physical ailment as the demon is yeah. pushing him to kill. Well, and also he's, he's only getting his meds to begin with um, through some sort of illicit means. He, he meets a guy in a van <laughs> That's where I get my meds. Who gives him his lithium or whatever. <laughs> he gives me my meds, an American psycho, and a wet nap, and sends me on my way. Yeah, so if he's gone off his meds, it's absolutely likely. <laughs> it's, uh, this is the problem with stories like this. It's awesome. There's a lot going on here, and now I'm in the mode of, uh, no, I, I want to know. Tell me the twist. <laughs> and now all I want to know is, is if the twist is right or not. And that's no reflection on Brubaker. It's, it's just how you're wired. It's how I'm wired. So, That's okay. <laughs> it's a very good book. It is a very different book from Demonic. It is, but it even ties into the Batman book we were talking about when you consider the extended conversation between the ventriloquist and Catwoman about the monsters inside. So, you know, what is the excuse for letting the monster out? Who, who's, who's running the show? Yeah. What is the purpose of the mask? Yeah, no, it's, that's definitely a piece of this. Yeah. But one thing is I'm just I'm going through my notes here, and I forgot, and I want to address. Part of the fun here is in the details. So at least in his head, he's a vigilante. But it does raise a point. How do you find criminals if you're not fucking Batman? He's trying to figure out, okay, uh, who do I kill? And I do agree with you. It's going to be as he descends further and further. He'll find reasons yeah. to want to kill Oh, oh no, yeah, yes, my roommate's a criminal. I think you're absolutely right. But from a practical standpoint, yeah, it's. Have you ever actually seen anybody do a crime? Me personally? Actually, we have. <laughs> we have in San Diego. Yes. Uh, probably 2009. Uh, and it was, uh, yeah, some dude was tuning up a, a woman in a park. And by the time we really realized it was a problem, there were already police on the way. So yeah. it, was, it was one of those things where it was like, okay, there's nothing to do, but that's... What I remember about that, it was surreal. Like, we were watching, trying to figure, what are we seeing? Like, because it was so vicious and blatant. And so out of place yeah. for, you know, a couple of white people from Boston. You, yeah. you don't see assaults in the street. No. Only only Batman sees assaults <laughs> in the street. Only yeah. Paul Kersey can walk down the street and be mugged. Right. We saw the aftermath here in, in um, the neighborhood of the home office once of 
a crime. Uh, some guy tried to steal a woman's purse, and the full force, full force of of Boston bros descended upon this guy. That, that's why I, I love our little part of of Greater Boston. It's a yeah, some dude. Uh, we've got some restaurants on our main sort of drag in this area that have have open windows. Yeah, and it was springtime, and yeah, this dude reached in a window and grabbed a purse and ran. Yeah, and uh, yeah, every fucking <laughs> every person named Sully. Yeah, every Sully and, <laughs> and Mick and yeah, yeah, yeah they <laughs> swarmed on him, and they didn't beat him down, but they got him on the ground, and three of them sat on him. Yeah. <laughs> Until the cops came and they all waved him, waved in, say, "We got him! We got the motherfucker!" <laughs> My name Fitzy F I T. So, so, but yeah, if if you want to be a vigilante, how do you find a crime? Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's the the little details uh, on top of the little details going into the the story, you know, showing how unreliable Dylan is is really what makes it an interesting story. That said, show me if I'm right. <laughs> That's a main thing I care I care about. But it's a, it also it makes sort of every issue an implicit cliffhanger. Yes, because it's like, all right, these are the things going on right now. What's he going to think next month to to just descend further? Right. Like, where does it go? You know, he, at this point, he's he's killed the brother of somebody supposedly that he knew in high school. He has gone to a strip club with the excuse of I can find criminals here because. They're, they must be part of the Russian mob, right? Of course, and uh, that's why I go to I go to strip clubs because I, I like uh, the egg buffet, and that's where the eggs are. Legs and eggs. There you go. That's where human trafficking and eggs are. Jesus. That's why I was at the strip club. I swear to God, not the whipped cream wrestling. <laughs> no, that's purely by coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, I decided that I wanted to get my vigilante on, and I went to the Golden Banana. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, we wanted to talk about these two because clearly the same tiny kernel of an idea sort of drove where these stories came from. Yes. It's obviously a case of parallel thinking. Yep. These are both established writers working for the same publisher. It's right. just, we used to deal with this in comedy all the time. It's like, your joke is like my joke. Well, it, people think of this. If you see the same thing in the news, and eventually somebody's going to have the same idea. Right. And jokes or stories will come from that. And clearly that's the case here. But it is really an interesting idea of, yeah, having very different executions in that idea. I mean... Demonic, there's no question there's a demon. Yeah, and it feels very much like this is an exploration of the horror story and what happens when someone becomes corrupted by an outside force. Yeah, it's using the horror movie as sort of a a place to start to examine, uh, yeah, corruption and violence of the, the type that you would see in these kind of panicky yeah. slasher Although I movies. suppose it's possible that it's in Graves' head and you know maybe the conversation he had with the librarian who confirmed that he was possessed as a child and maybe never took place. It's possible. Yeah, but... <laughs> but I think it's more likely that it's an exploration of a horror story. When the five <laughs> cops said, look, the man running up the side of the building in the cloak, shoot him! Yeah, there's, there's enough third-party confirmation. Right. 
So yeah, this is all meant to be happening and real. And yeah, it uses a story form as a place to jump off to examine character and violence and how it affects relationships. But there's no question. Oh yeah, there's a demon behind (laughs) Scott telling him kill for me. Whereas that idea really just is another thing on top of this unreliable guy who's doing acts of violence as his life is just shit and out of control and he sabotages himself. Yeah, and- this is this is a guy who had an unsuccessful suicide attempt, if you believe his narration, that then led him to have a dissociative moment where he is divorced from reality. Yes. And here's what happened next. Yeah, it's one... Demonic is very 80s movies, early 90s comics. And Killer Be Killed is all 1970s Scorsese. Yeah. It's a character study more than anything else in a city that at least through the eyes of this unreliable narrator is a shithole that is irredeemable. But yet at the same time, he's complaining, again, the unreliable narrator, this place is terrible. How do I find a criminal in this terrible, corrupt place? And also he has a history of, of feeling the victim and, and wanting to be able to feel important in some fashion. Oh, I'm a 28-year-old grad student. That makes me you know, lesser than my friends who have all started to get on with their lives and are having you know, marriages and kids, and here I am still finishing grad school. And yeah. It- <laughs> oh, definitely. The one thing they have in common is people who have found incorrectly fulfillment through violence. Yes. So that's one commonality between them. And it's really disturbing. I think it's more disturbing in Kill or Be Killed because, yeah, that could be any asshole. Right. Yeah, who's decided life hasn't given him a fair shake and the point of a gun is the only thing that's going to give him any power. Yeah, and and also, well, as far as we know, again, he also, when he picks up the gun for the second time and he goes to the range to shoot, all of a sudden he's, you know, amazing and can get like, you know, headshots on demand and you know take a full cluster to to somebody's chest based on the the target that comes back yeah that's not a thing that happens (laughs) Uh, i took a handgun safety course last year uh just with a buddy because a buddy of mine was going i'm like yeah i could use a day off and i've been shooting a few times in my life yeah then make no mistake guns are fun they're scary because you learn real quick. <laughs> I'm holding death in my hand. I better be really fucking careful with it. Right. But the, yeah, even my buddy said, you know, you're a better shot than your average star. Yeah, I was, <laughs> even with very slow and careful aiming, I was I was hitting the silhouette three times out of four, but I, I was not the fucking punisher. <laughs> it's, I would, I would be the, I'd be the punisher being like, just stand there. Just stop. <laughs> Lower your weapon and stand there. <laughs> I need to hit center mass, so if you could just stop shaking. It's, you know how expensive bullets are? They're really <laughs> it's expensive to go to a firing range, right? you got to rent the gun. and So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's God. It, yeah, it reminds me of that. Remember that movie Cuffs? Yes. With Christian Slater? Oh, God. It, it was Christian Slater two degrees past Apogee when he was on the on the downslide to doing direct-to-video and uh, one of 14 Ooh, I'm a Hacker shows on Fox before he finally got Mr. Robot. Yes. 
Yeah, he's just this slacker kid who joins the police force. And yeah, they give him a nine millimeter. He goes, boop, 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 boop. And he's all in the head. He's like, I've never fired a gun before in my life. That's not how it works. Yeah, yeah. So. I, I am I'm a complete shit shot. Like, so I, it would be wasted on me. I'd be... It's the only reason I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I would fire like the entire, like, however there are in the chamber and the target would come back. It would be clean. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I I didn't know how this machine worked. (laughs) Pristine. They could use it again with somebody else. Meanwhile, like some, some poor schmuck who's like downrange. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, The the good news is I saved 50 cents on the silhouette target. (laughs) I spent $4 worth of bullets on it, but yeah. Yes, uh, dialing back to the story, clearly there's a lot in Dylan's head that is not uh, real. Yes. Then we go from the, oh, I'm an excellent shot, to the fantasy in number four of, thank you for just standing there, I'm not a really good shot yet. Yeah. So even the things he's saying in context of the books don't make sense between issue to issue. Yes. It's, both are really interesting and cool stories in their own right, taking the same kernel of an idea and spinning off in wildly different directions. And... It's it's hard to say. I like Killer Be Killed better, but I don't have the love of eighties horror that you do. See, I like them both equally, just in very different ways, which is fine. Yeah, uh, neither one of the they're both very good. Yes, it's just well, I say I like Killer Kill Killer Be Killed better. Yeah, you got about an issue or two to start showing me I'm right about things that I think are going on. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to check out just I think by the trade. Would, well, I think it would be better actually if he, if he takes it in a direction you're not expecting. I, I would like that. That'd be fine. I'm good with that. Okay. I don't know everything, although I figured out the sixth sense. You did. I think that's going to go on my tombstone. That was the high point of my <laughs> analytical powers. I hadn't completely sogged out my brain with whiskey heads. Ah, <laughs> uh, whiskey. Uh, don't worry. Show's almost over. We'll get you some whiskey in a minute. Yay! <laughs> Just how Amanda and I plan very differently. <laughs> I have to take detailed notes for the show and bring five beers downstairs. Amanda's just like, I'll drink after. So you need to... No, I read the books. I have ordered thoughts. <laughs> so do I. I had to write them down because I'm going to drink while I'm doing the show. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Anything else about these two books or should we uh, wrap it up? No, I think we can wrap it up. I, all of the books that we, we talked about this week uh, have something that is enjoyable in their own way, even if, say, in the case of Spider-Man 9, there are flaws because this is clearly a placeholder. Yes. Yeah, none of these books are bad. Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man is the weakest of them. Uh, Batman, the more and more I think about it, is stronger than even I originally thought when I read it. It just It's a weird happenstance of, yeah, these two books have this common kernel that give us something to really dive in deeper than we do with, with a lot of books. So yeah. it, was, it was a cool week. Yeah, and there were a lot of books um, this week that were also good that we didn't get a chance to talk about, so... Um, if you haven't read Doctor Strange recently, you should get in there. That, that's a trippy fucking book. Yeah, God help me, I'm enjoying <laughs> Cave Carson Has a Cybernetic Eye. I, I didn't think I would. I read issue two. I didn't read issue one. Um, I I liked seeing um, Michael Avon Oming's art in a context that wasn't a Powers book. Yes, and it's good to see Wild Dog again. Yeah, which is interesting because we're finally getting caught up on, on Arrow this season and Wild Dog is in that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a wild dog renaissance. Apparently. Who would have thunk it? Nobody. It was four <laughs> issues in 1987, and then everybody pretended it didn't happen. See, I also read Briggsland. That's that's good if you're not reading that. I haven't, I haven't caught up on that one yet. 
So there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. So it was a good week. Yes. Yes. Just a week this week, just talking about comics. They may happen more and more often, but make no mistake, if we find big topics, we'll continue doing big topic shows. But we're really trying to find a happy medium where we can make sure that we're ready to do the show every week, that these gaps don't happen anymore. Because we really love doing the show. It's just there are weeks where it's like, I, I can't. I, I can't. If you, gentle listener, have a, a topic or a book that you would like us to tackle, please let us know. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can email us, crisis at infinite midlives at gmail.com, which uh, does remind me, uh, one upside, my brother is out of ICU. Yay. He is now in rehab. Uh, he's eaten for the first time in a month. He's doing better. And I still have people who emailed me after I first talked about that who I need to get back to. Please be patient. I will get back to you. Yes. Thank you all for your well wishes. My brother is uh, on the road to recovery. Thank you to the listener who wrote us about um, how to tackle the the woodpecker. If the condo association would let us do any of those things, we would try. (laughs) I'm going to fill the squirt gun with lighter fluid. (laughs) (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? Everything. Okay. Why don't we we wrap up? All right. I don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. Uh, I'm not doing as much as with that as I had recently hoped due to uh, busyness, but we can always get e- uh, messages through that. Yes. Uh, so it is facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. We are on Twitter. Our handle is at infinitemidlife. We are on Tumblr, crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. You can find this show on iTunes if that is how you like to get your podcasts. You can certainly subscribe to us through there. Uh, otherwise, do us a favor. Give us a review. Give us a rating. It would help new people find the show. Yes. We're on Google Play. We are on Stitcher. Uh, what else are we on? Uh, meth. <laughs> no, we are not on meth. <laughs> Now we're on a list. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, Comics Podcast Network. We're proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Can uh, look at our website. It'll tell you every way that you can get the show. And again, you can always email us, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. And that is it. This has been episode 133 of the Crisis on Infinite Midlive show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. Don't look at me like I'm an unreliable narrator. <laughs> That's why I said that thing about uh, American Psycho. I'm an unreliable narrator. Just keep digging that hole. <laughs>